Okay, so we try every night to have a pep talk, something to give you a little bit of encouragement in your practice. Listening to the Dhamma is for the purpose not just of getting knowledge, but for the purpose of getting encouragement. And bridging the gap between what we know and what we need to know through the things that we know to put to be able to put them together and give us the reassurance the things that we know and our experience we're trying to connect these two so that we have an understanding of what it is what's the truth of our experience in the practice because when we practice Doubts can come up. What is this? What is that? Am I really getting something out of the practice? What is the purpose of this? And so when we when we receive the teaching, when we, we listen to the Dhamma, it helps us to make sense of what it is that we're experiencing. For instance, impermanence. We've heard a lot about the Buddhist teaching on impermanence and suffering and non-self. And intellectually it makes quite a bit of sense. But still we, at the same time in our practice, we expect things to be permanent, to be satisfying, to be controllable. And we become frustrated when they're not that way. And we think something's wrong with our practice, so then we, it's important to explain this is actually a very important realization. This is what we're trying to realize, because when you see that things are impermanent, you won't cling to them. You won't even worry or fuss about them. You'll stop trying to make them pleasant and satisfying, and you'll stop trying to control them. And this is, so this is why we listen to the Dhamma, not just to get information. And tonight I wanted to talk about truth. You know, truth in the Buddhist teaching. You know, we'll call this talk simple truth. Because when we think of truth or when we think of wisdom, it's very easy to make it much more complicated than it need be. To, to get the idea that wisdom has to be something something complicated, complex, something profound or deep. So we think that there has to be much, much to be said about truth, or it has to have many aspects and, and many complexities to it for it to be true, for it to be the spiritual truth that we're seeking. So, for example, the Four Noble Truths. It's hard to give a talk on the Four Noble Truths, really, because most people have already heard about the Four Noble Truths and they're kind of bored of it already. To hear about the Four Noble Truths again, I mean, we know there's four of them, they can count. The truth of suffering, the cause of suffering, the cessation of suffering, the path. What's more, what, what more is there to say? 
and in fact we when we talk about them we want to talk say many things about them we want to make it very very complicated you think the truth of suffering must be something that you have to explain and you have to write books on and so on but really the the truth of suffering is is all all aspects of our experience the truth of something suffering is very simple it means None of this is, is happiness. None of this is satisfying. The, the, the Four Noble Truths are actually very important to, to think on and to contemplate on and to remember and keep in mind when we have suffering in the practice and we think it's because of this or that. We reflect on the Four Noble Truths and we, we see that actually it's, it's only our craving and our attachment that causes us to suffer. Mm -hmm. The Second Noble Truth is simply this uh, attachment, the desire for things to be this way or that way, or the desire for this object or that object. This is really the only, the only cause for suffering for us. So the Four Noble Truths as a very simple teaching are actually the, 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 the core of what we need to learn and the, the wisdom that we're trying to gain. Very simple teaching. And, and for that reason it's, very, it's quite difficult because our mind isn't content with simplicity. Our mind wants to make things complicated. So when we hear that all of our experience is, is in uh, is unsatisfying. We think, but what about this? What about that? And then we start to think this is must be a very pessimistic teaching because we have all these views and beliefs about how satisfying things are, and so we miss the the important fact that it's the truth. The important point is that when you investigate, when you look empirically at it, when you stop thinking and stop speculating. It's actually true that nothing is satisfying, nothing can possibly satisfy. And so clinging to it is a cause of suffering. This is just one example, I think. But in, in our practice in general, it, it, it becomes a real problem. So we're talking about these questions that we ask meditators, just simple questions. Is the right foot and the left foot, the, the movement of the right foot, the movement of the left foot, are they one thing or separate thing? Quite simple, but you see how the mind tries to analyze it and, and what could the meaning be, what, what sense is the question being asked? The purpose of the questions, actually, the, the, these simple questions is to test whether the meditator is able to to let go of their views. And the first step in meditation is to attain right view in, on, an, on an intellectual level, to give up all of one's intellectual views and to just see things simply, to see the simple reality that's in front of us. So yeah, the, the rising, uh, the, 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 the right stepping, stepping of the right foot, arises and ceases. 
The stepping of the left foot arises and ceases. This is the simple reality. But our minds can't be easily contented with that. So we create these ideas of what it is and philosophies about it. And we hear about impermanent suffering and non-self, so we start to think about, yes, how impermanent it is, how much suffering it is, and so on. Or maybe we doubt and we think it's not really suffering, it's not really impermanent, it's always the same, and so on. And so maybe we start to doubt the teachings. This is another example of how the, the truth that we're trying to find is, is actually quite simple. We're simply trying to... The, the truth of impermanence is that it arises and ceases. It's not, a, it's not a thought that, yes, yes, everything is impermanent. It's that awareness. When you see something arise and cease, you're learning about impermanence. Not when you think, oh, that ceased or that arose. When you watch it from beginning to end, stepping right and stepping left. And the accumulation of this knowledge, this, this wisdom, is what leads to the arising of the Four Noble Truths. Leads to the arising of or the, the, the realization of the Four Noble Truths, that nothing can ever satisfy us. There's nothing permanent and satisfying. It's a realization that occurs just from the accumulation of, of wisdom, simple wisdom. Not wisdom from books or intellectual, not even complex concepts or ideas. Another example of, of of, of simplicity is this idea of this wisdom that we're gaining. People practice, come to practice meditation in this way and they think I'm not getting any profound realizations or any, uh, any uh, deep or, or, uh, or abstruse or, or hard to find knowledge. I'm just seeing the stomach rising and falling. Sometimes it gets stuck, and sometimes it's deep, sometimes it's shallow, sometimes I can't even find it. I think, why am I wasting my time on it? And so I always think back to this, this movie, this famous movie in America, The Karate Kid, where he has his student paint the fence, you know? and he has him wax his cars, and he, he, he does it for a while, and then he gets fed up, and says, Look, I'm really grateful for you for teaching me, but you know, when are we going to get into learning karate? And the teacher says, show me how you paint the fence, and then he punches him, and he's able to block it. And show me how you wax the car, and he punches him again, and he blocks it as well. And so he shows him that the, the, the simple exercises, this is the, the martial art, this is the the training. So when we, 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 we always think we're coming here to gain wisdom, we're coming here to understand. Right? That's why we've decided Buddhism is for us, because we've realized that wisdom is the most important. And the Buddha was very clear about this. That just like the stars in the sky are always shadowed by the moon, are always um, pale in comparison. The, the radiance is... If you see a star, it looks quite radiant, but if, you, if the moon is in the sky, you can't help but 
notice the difference. And the radiance of all the stars together can't compare to the radiance of the moon. And the Buddha said, in the same way, all virtuous qualities, all put together, can't compare to the virtue of wisdom, the radiance of wisdom. So we hear this and we know that the word Buddha itself means one who is, is awake or one who is enlightened, one who has come to realize the truth. And so we go practicing, we go, where's the wisdom? But people even say, look, when I'm noting stepping right, stepping left, how could wisdom possibly arise? My mind is full of these words, these meaningless mantras. And it's just like this Karate Kid thing, because that's the wisdom. That's what the word Panya means. Panya means to know completely something. Pa means completely, Nya means to know. It's the same as Sampajanya, it's the same word, put together differently. It's got Sang in the beginning, Sam which means right. And it's the same word, Panya. just means to know something completely, or to thoroughly know something, or to penetrate into something. My teacher used to say this and I thought it was quite quite hard to, to take it. First. What is the wisdom? The wisdom is when you say to yourself, stepping right. At the moment when you know that this is stepping right, that's wisdom. And you think, how can that be? That's not wisdom. The Buddha didn't teach that. What did the Buddha teach us to know? The Buddha taught us to know the truth of suffering. It doesn't mean he taught us to say, this is suffering and so on. He taught us to know clearly reality. Because it's all, it's all dukkha. It's all considered to be dukkha. Meaning that it can't satisfy us. It, it's not worth anything. It's useless. Meaningless. And how do you know that it's meaningless? Because you see it for what it is. If you, if you look at it and you, and, and you see it clearly and realize that it's worth something, then we have to throw the Four Noble Truths out the window. But that's, that, that's fine. But the point is, we, when we do look, when we do see, what we're seeing, this is the truth of suffering. And because it's unsatisfying, because we can't help to see, but see that it's unsatisfying, through seeing it clearly, through seeing things a step being right, which is just the name for the movement, no? The, the, the reality is the movement. But if you say moving, moving, it gets a little bit monotonous, so we kind of break it up. But eventually, you see, that's why we start into lifting, placing, just some word that reifies the experience. Instead of proliferating the experience and saying, okay, so this is good, this is bad, this is me, this is mine, this is right, this is wrong. You say, this is this. And once you say, it is what it is, then you see what it is. You say, lifting, and, and, and you know this has lifted. You don't say it's permanent, it's satisfying, it's under my control. You say, it's lifting, and then it's gone. And you do the same with the body, the feelings, the mind. And, so on. and that's the accumulation, that's actually in and of itself, the accumulation of wisdom. This is why it's it a simple wisdom. The wisdom that we're looking for is not some complex intellectual uh, endeavor. We're just trying to know things fully, to understand things fully. So that means 
everything that comes up in our practice and in our lives is fit and is proper and is uh, is appropriate object of meditation practice. It's necessary for us to take as a meditation object. The problem comes when we when we we compartmentalize. So our meditation becomes a part of our life, and the rest of our life we don't think to take as meditation. Or even a part of our meditation we do take, and a part of our meditation we don't take. We push away certain experiences. When we have pain, we try to adjust our position immediately. When we have bad thoughts, we immediately get upset about them and try to push them away and say, no, no, stop, I'm trying to meditate. That's the big one, is never come to me and tell me that something's getting in the way of your meditation. It's too easy, don't walk into that one. Somebody saying, on the forum they were saying, the sound, they, they try to meditate, but there's all this sound and it's getting in the way of their meditation. Now you know what the answer's going to be, if you've been around me for a while. The sound should be your meditation. At that moment you have a perfect meditation object, the sound. Why is it perfect? Because you don't like it. Because you think somehow you can fix it. And somehow you can stop it. All you have to do is go somewhere else, no sound. So you're in the, you're in the mode of trying to control and of trying to stabilize, of trying to satisfy your partiality. So for this reason, it's a perfect object of our, our meditation. And you say to yourself, instead of thinking about the sound and how to make it go away and how, what, what, what's the nature of the sound, you say hearing. People do this when they go home and their family members are yelling at them and then they say to themselves, hearing, hearing. And whereas normally they would get into an argument and fight and, and cause all sorts of suffering and shout back. You know. They find that they have so much peace in their mind. Hearing, hearing. it's just sound rising at the ear, ceasing at the ear. At that moment, there is wisdom. There is pure, unadulterated wisdom. And I told the story about how I once saw a monk just doing this enter into cessation. He was explaining it, hearing, hearing, and then he because he himself was was doing was undertaking the practice. Just then and there he was able to, his mind let go. Wisdom is to see things as they are. It's easy to hear that and to, to, under, to agree with that, but to understand it. Because seeing things as they are is just simply for what they are. If the stomach is rising, it means to see that that's the stomach rising. Patisatimataya. With bare and specific remembrance of the object for what it is. Anisito. Not clinging to it. Not clinging to anything. Independent of the object. And not giving rise to anything, in anything based on the object. No qualifiers whatsoever. So when you think that the practice is somehow this this kind of 
activity where you have to do slow walking and where you have to use this repeating this mantra and so on, that somehow it's getting in the way of your meditation, getting in the way of understanding, getting in the way of the arising of wisdom. Sometimes you have, we have to consider carefully what is, it, what is the wisdom that we're looking for. Because always when we think it's getting in the way, it's, it's getting in the way of our expectations. It's getting in the way of what we're hoping to happen. This deep sense of tranquility and, and uh, clarity of mind, and it's stable and permanent and, and satisfying. Or some profound realizations of uh, the complex nature of the mind and our um, the workings of our of, of, of our egos and so on. And so we think we have to consider and ponder and contemplate on impermanent suffering and non-self, and then we come and complain and say, "I can't because I'm watching the stomach and it's changing all the time and it's unsatisfying, it's painful and." It makes me upset, I can't control it. So how can I possibly hope to understand impermanent suffering and non-self if I have to deal with this? You see how silly it is? In the process of seeing impermanent suffering and non-self, but people will actually run away because they think this isn't real meditation. This isn't real meditation, I'm suffering and all of my problems I have to actually like like observe my problems. I have to. I have to watch my all of these bad things. And I thought the purpose of meditation was to leave behind bad things. Why are we turning around and looking at them? When I'm angry, the last thing I want to do is look at it. I get the idea that somehow looking at it feeds it. When I look at the anger, it gets worse. And then you ask, do you want it to get worse? No, I don't want it to. Get worse. And can you truly say that it belongs to you? If, it, if when you look at it, it gets worse? And people focus on the pain and they say, pain, pain. When I do that, it just gets stronger. Because I think the noting is supposed to make it go away. No, this is what came up today. Sometimes I, sometimes, not to pick on you, that's, that's what we all say. No. Sometimes I can really be mindful and, it, and then it goes away. And I'm really doing it correctly. But I think that's uh, I think that's not not actually what's going on. It can be. It is true that when your mind is is in a good state, then it goes away. But it doesn't mean that, it, that this is the right moment and, and all. When it doesn't go away, that's the wrong moment. It just means that the factors that have brought you to this moment are in are, are arising in that way, and they're not under your control. And that's really actually an important part of your practice, to see what's going on, to see what's inhibiting your mindfulness, to see what's inhibiting your peace of mind, to see what this bed that we've made for ourselves, to see what, what this, this nest, this uh, vihara that we've built for ourselves. We would have called it vihara dhamma. We, we build a home for ourselves in the mind. Whatever seeds you sow, so is the fruit you reap. This is the Buddha said. It actually occurs in the Bible as well. You reap, reap what you sow. We hear this all the time. It's actually said by the Buddha. 
Yadisang wapati bitang, whatever seed you sow, tadisang harate palang, such as the fruit, such as the fruit that you reap. Kalyana kali kalyanang papakari So, we see kalyana kali, doing good deeds leads to good things, doing bad deeds leads to bad things. It's not an intellectual teaching. You reap what you sow, and then we start to think, well, is it true? I see all these rich people. If, if, if you think about intellectually, you see rich people who can be real horrible people. And you don't see them reaping anything except more good. You start to wonder about this. If you think intellectually, it causes a lot of doubt. We start to look for complex truths. You find many problems. But the simple truth is that when you get angry, how do you feel? Does it form a habit or does it not form a habit? Suppose you're sitting and you have pain and then you adjust your position. You think, oh, that was nice, that worked. So you think, wow, this is the truth of suffering. No. The truth of suffering is sitting still. The truth of suffering is sitting still on a meditation mat. All you have to do to get be free from suffering, don't sit on a meditation mat. When the suffering comes, what's the path that leads to the cessation of suffering? Moving. Massaging. Yoga. This is the, this is the cessation path to the cessation of suffering. And then it comes back again. When it comes back again, you think you're going to be less inclined to move or more inclined to move? More inclined to move. It's not static when you become more averse to the feeling, more, more set in the view that you can avoid suffering, that it's under your control. All you have to do is find that magic button. It's the same with mindfulness. We think if we find the magical button, we'll be mindful all the time. We think we're doing something wrong when we're not mindful. We beat ourselves up over it. And so it gets worse and worse and worse and stronger. And the pain gets stronger and stronger and stronger and the aversion gets stronger and stronger. And then we start to see that what we see what we're doing, that actually we're causing the suffering. That we, we see that there's no way to set up your life so that you can be permanently happy, permanently satisfied. There's only one way to be truly happy, and that's to be anisito, as the Buddha said, to dwell independent of the objects around you. It's such a simple truth. There's nothing to explain. Don't cling. You won't suffer. It's not even hard to understand. These things are impermanent. Who can't understand that? The truth is really what you're left with when you give up everything. This is why the Buddha said, right view is the giving up of wrong view. When he talked about views at all, he would always be talking about wrong views. The person who has right view is one who has given up all of the wrong views. Who has no views. What do they have? They have knowledge. So when the stomach's rising, they know the stomach's rising. 
It's hard to believe that that's wisdom. But can you do it? When the stomach rises, do you know the stomach's rising? Or do you think, oh, this meditation, having to sit on this mat, how many minutes are left? Is this really right for me? Wouldn't I be better off on the beach? Or, so, or else we start to think about it and think, oh, impermanent suffering and so on. Very hard for us to stay with just with what with the, the, the reality of the experience. And it's so simple. It's, it, destroy, it removes all the defilement. It's like when you turn on a light and it gets rid of all the darkness. Very simple thing to do. Turn on a light. You're bumping around in the darkness and you think, how am I going to get out of this room? How am I going to avoid bumping into things? All you have to do is turn on the light. When you can see your way, when you know what's happening, when you know what's in front of you, you won't run into things. When you see that this is the stomach rising, how could you attach to it? Is there anything to, to attach to? When you know that the rain is about to soak you, and you just know it for rain, does it cause suffering for you? The suffering is in, uh-oh, I'm going to get wet. And the, the built-up aversion to getting wet that we have. The, the, the cultural norm to, to not let yourself get soaked by the rain or so. I used to go on alms round in the morning and <laughs> the other monks would laugh and go, where's your umbrella? He's soaking wet. It's just water. Culturally it's not a... Not, not, uh, anyway, the point is we, we have so many um, preconceived notions about things. Everything. We hear the sound of the rain, uh-oh. This is no good. Uh, and so on and so on. Uh, the, the mantra itself, the, the, the meditation itself is something that's very hard for people to accept. Because they think it's, it's limiting. How are you ever going to give rise to understanding if you're just... Well, it's kind of brainwashing, no? We were joking about the word brainwashing because every time I hear it, I always think, yeah, yeah, that's what we're doing. <laughs> we're brainwashing you. It's scary, no? When you hear that, you think, oh, no. And if I'm helping you give rise to judgments already, you know? And the people hear this, he's, he's brainwashing us and he admits it. Very hard for people to accept, no? But that's really it. That's what's going on. It's, not brainwashing, I suppose, and if you look in the dictionary, it probably has a lot more, but very simply, we're washing, we're, 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 we're taking everything out of our mind. You know, they say brainwashing is bad because it gets rid of your inhibitions, right? So, you brainwash someone, then they can go and kill people. How, why? Because they, they've lost their fear or their knowledge of that it's a bad thing to do. But in a sense, not in the sense of killing people, because that doesn't come, but in a sense we are giving up our notions of good and evil. This is why there's a book, a Buddhist book called Beyond Good and Evil, and the Buddha himself talked about getting beyond good and evil, in one sense of the word. To just see things as they are, to not have any expectations, 
do not have any wants or needs to take things as they come as they come to know them just for what they are you don't need anything you don't need wisdom you don't need knowledge you don't need study the study we need to do is the study of ourselves the study of that experience we have to become as objective as we can we have to be very quite rigorous the, the, the technique that we have is one of, of strict strict impartiality adherence to a strict impartiality so that no, no matter what comes you're going to not see it as special our teacher he, 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 for advanced meditators he would especially when strange experiences come up he would always get the mantra he gave them this is not that not something you have to repeat to yourself, but when something comes up and you, you think it's maybe something special that want you to remind yourself, this is not that. It's not special. <clears throat> Nothing that arises is going to be outside of your practice, be something that you should focus on, that you should cling to, that you should investigate or analyze or, or proliferate, you know, create more thought about. This is not that. It's not that. It's not that what you're looking for. For beginner meditators, this is not bad. It's very difficult to understand. But once you've been practicing, you get it that it's not. None of this is that. It's all this. It is what it is. This is this. The rising is the rising. The falling is the falling. Standing is standing. Sitting is sitting. The experience is the experience. It is what it is. And all we're doing in the meditation is reminding ourselves of it, setting ourselves in it, straightening our mind until that's all the mind knows. It is what it is. That's wisdom. That's seeing that all of the ideas that we have about things are, are false. All of our conceptions and our the tags and the labels that we put on things, they're all false. That this could satisfy, that that could satisfy, that this is good, that this is bad, that this is permanent, that this is me, that this is mine. Our possessions, our belongings, our friends, our family, it's all just concepts. You see that reality is what it is. You actually see this. You see that the rain is just an experience of rain. Life is experience of life, death is experience of death. We see but parinyayam parinyayantim. It is to be, we, we come to know Parinyayanti Parinyayanti Parinyatanti 
Parinyaya. We know clearly. We know Pari is a good one because Pari means completely. Pari is like a circle. The complete circle. It's like Pa, but Pa is, is fully. Pari is all around. We have to know truth all, we have to know suffering all around. All encompassing. Our knowledge of suffering has to be all encompassing. This is what we gain from the practice. We come to see that not, be, not that these things are unpleasant or that they're, they're, they're harmful to us, but that they're useless, they're meaningless, they're not a source of happiness. So we can live with them, we can live amongst them, we can experience them, but we can't cling to them, we can't find happiness in them. And it doesn't mean that we throw them away, it doesn't mean that we reject them. It means that we've, we, we, we interact with them. We are with them as they are. Seeing is just seeing. As the Buddha said, Dite dittamatang bhavisati. When seeing is just seeing, let seeing be just seeing. Sutte suttamatang bhavisati. Let hearing just be hearing. Mutte muttamatang bhavisati. Sensing is just sensing. Jinte chittamatang bhavisati. Jitte chitte. Thinking is just thinking. Even our thoughts, our intellectual analysis of things, our views and our opinions and our ideas, all of this we have to throw away. All of this we have to give up. Let it be. It's not ours, it's under our control. It's just thinking. It mean, it's meaningless. All of your thoughts and ideas, all of your beliefs and views. This isn't wisdom. Wisdom is seeing that those are just beliefs and views and thoughts. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. This is simple wisdom. All we have to do is get out, rid of all of the baggage that we carry. That's what enlightenment is. It's like getting lighter. You know? Enlightenment is not just turning on a light. It's giving up the weight. The Buddha said the five aggregates are indeed a heavy burden and it is, it is us that has to carry them around so once we stop clinging to them once we stop proliferating projecting in regards to them then we find true wisdom and enlightenment our minds become light, our minds become free. Quite simple. This is, this is really all that the Buddha had to, had to offer to us. That the Buddha found perfect simplicity. He found perfect uh, rectitude of mind, straightness. His mind became perfectly straight so that he was able to cut like a knife when your mind is crooked, you can't cut. You can't. You can't point. You can only cling. But when you straighten the mind, you straighten the mind. Nothing can cling to the straight mind. Like a load, like water off. Water off of a lotus uh, flower. 
even though it's surrounded by water and maybe even rain, the water doesn't soak into the lotus. In the same way, nothing can cling, nothing can soak into the mind that sees things as they are. So that's the pep talk for tonight. Uh, now we'll continue on with our meditation practice. If you really don't want to get wet, you're welcome to go to your room. I think uh, in, in, in honor of the talk, I think I'm going to do my meditation up here in the rain. Not that I'm saying that you should do I'm not trying to say you should go out in the rain and meditate. Because you might catch cold and then you have the clothes that you have to dry and so on. But in honor of the talk, I'm going to do it. No matter how wet I get. Not, not as an ordinary practice. But out of respect for the Buddha tonight, I'm going to do something silly. So, you're welcome to join if you want. And we can all get very wet or you're welcome to go to the room.